Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. Today we are privileged to have a guest speaker. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message. Hey, good morning, New Hope. How are you guys doing? Uh, I am here in Lexington, Kentucky, as you guys know, for uh, the General Conference of the Wesleyan Church, and I have had an incredible week. And right now, I am on the campus of Asbury Theological Seminary, where Amy Lynn and I uh, came for two years. I did my doctoral studies here, and I am in the middle of the campus. And you guys have always heard me talk about John Wesley. I am a big John Wesley fan. I believe that he is one of the greatest disciples of Christ outside of the Apostle Paul since the days of Jesus. And you've heard me talk about him, but you might not have ever seen this dude. Let me show you John Wesley. This is John Wesley. He's a little sawed-off thing. They say he was about 4'11". Hey, see if I can get to strike this pose. Bible in hand. Hey, here's an idea. Oh, yeah. I got it? This is John Wesley. John Wesley was about 4 foot 11. He preached over 40,000 sermons. Wesley rode around 250,000 miles on horseback preaching the gospel. He had his Bible and a few other staples in the saddlebags and he was a preacher of the gospel. He had this spirit and this passion about him that basically said, the way we say it around New Hope Church, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus Christ. Hey, New Hope, i got a question for you. Are you still living that out this summer? Who are you inviting to church? Who are you building redemptive relationships with? And when the moment is right, Inviting them either to faith in Christ on your own or bringing them to church where God can move and show up and strut his stuff and souls are saved and marriages are restored and addictions are broken. Lives are saved for the gospel. This cat, one of the reasons he's one of my favorite heroes, John Wesley, would do whatever it took to see souls saved. And you hope that's what you are all about. Hey, I love you guys. I've had an incredible week here in Wilmore. We're going to show you some pictures here of things that I've done, uh, different shots here around the campus. Um, here's where I went to school. It was called the International Beeson Center for International uh, Church Leadership and Biblical Preaching. I loved my time here. The general conference that I told you about, it is in downtown Lexington. And we had the book signing last night, and that's going well. Just having a blast here with, with thousands of other pastors and leaders from all over the world. Actually, it's an international conference. Um, just having a great, great time. I miss you guys. You are in for a great treat today. Pastor Chad Lunsford, our Connections Pastor, is bringing forth the Word. He is finishing up our Ephesians series. He's going to be teaching from Ephesians chapter 6. And so if you haven't 
uh, studied that, go ahead and open up your word because he is going to come out and bring forth a great timely word. He always does. Listen, after that bumper video in just a moment, I want you to do what I encourage you to do every single Sunday. I want you to show him some love and welcome him to the platform of New Hope. Uh, next Sunday, don't, don't, don't miss next Sunday. Next Sunday is Father's Day, and I'm going to preach the first message from the Holy Land. Most of you guys know that I just came back from the Holy Land with 26 New Hopers. While I was there, I preached three messages on site, and uh, the video team with, went, went with me. They shot those messages, and we're going to show the very first one next Sunday, which is Father's Day. And uh, let me just go ahead and say in advance, fathers, I, I wish you a great week. Enjoy your kids. Have an amazing week. And uh, whatever you do, grab your family, moms, single moms, students, whatever. Don't miss next Sunday. I'm very excited about the message straight from the Holy Land. Hey, have a great day. I love you guys. I miss you. And I can't wait to see you at the end of August. God bless. stumbled into part six of our series in Ephesians. We've been calling Building the Body of Christ. The Body of Christ is simply a fancy or a theological, scriptural way to say the church. Paul has been speaking to the church. He, he has a, a letter. He has a narrative, a, a story, a theme that he wants to share. We're going to wrap that up today. I'm honored to, to close out what's been an amazing series, right? I mean, awesome messages every, every single week from, from different people. And I'm excited for next week to hear Pastor Benji's first message. Uh, from the Holy Land, I'm sure it's going to be uh, just just amazing to see him uh, there in the Holy Land. It's going to be going to be awesome. So, you guys ready for today? Yeah. Sounds like you guys are ready. You sound amazing during worship. There was just a ton of energy. Garner, I was sitting where you are right now. I was sitting there last week, and I was able to experience worship with you all. And it's just it's uh, it's astounding to see all that God is doing over there. Uh, the ladies at NCCIW, we always uh, are praying for you. In fact, I was told today that there's, there was, we have a lady with us today from NCCIW. She just got out uh, last week, and she had to come here first. So can we, can we welcome her? <laughs> ladies, uh, ladies, you are always welcome. You are always welcome to join us at any of our campuses. Those of you that are online or on TV, if you're ever near uh, our central campus, our Garner campus, what's going to be our Sanford campus in October, you are always welcome to join us. So wherever you are, I want to encourage you to grab out your teaching notes, uh, grab out your Bible, and, uh, and let's dig in. I'm, I'm excited for what God is going to share with us today. 
And, uh, and, it's, and it's simply this. It's simply this. I'm convinced in Ephesians chapter 6, like I said, it's, it's a story, it's a theme, it's a narrative. Paul is continuing what he started. And it's this. Paul wants to pick a fight with you. Now, there's two ways to hear that, right? The first is Paul wants to pick a fight with or against you. And the second is that Paul wants to pick a fight with or alongside of you. And it's the latter. Paul wants to pick a fight alongside of you. And here's the thing. I'm convinced, I think Paul's convinced, that far too often we've, we've chosen to pick a fight with each other instead of choosing to pick a fight for each other. So often we were always, uh, even in the church, we're, we're fighting against each other when God says, I want you to fight for the world. Amen? All right. So, so here's what we're going to do. Here's where, here's where we're going to go today. I, I, Pastor Kevin Myers, last week, he, he preached an amazing message. And he kept talking about getting inside of the box. He kept getting inside of the box. And see, here's the thing. Basically, what Kevin was saying is, we've picked the wrong fight. We've picked the wrong fight. Uh, a couple years ago, a pastor said to me, once well said is more than enough. And I agree. Last week, Pastor Kevin had this brilliant, just brilliant, brilliant moment. And the whole message was awesome. But there was just one moment, and it carries over from Ephesians 5 into Ephesians Six, and I want to just show that real quickly to you guys so we can kind of have some context for where we're going. Take a look. And that blame empowers you to continue to betray yourself every time you get a sense of the good you ought to do because you are not going to do that for a monkey. You aren't going to give the better half of a bagel to a monkey. And you get yourself in the box of self-deception and you don't even know you're in it. This is not merely true in marriage. Men and women, you can describe entire companies and businesses and offices based on this very reality. You get in the box in business with others. And you wonder, why does the business break down? Why can't we get anywhere? This happens in churches all the time. Happens in churches all the time. And right before that, Kevin was talking about the fact that we, we know the right thing to do. We, we hear it. We, we, we know it's in our head. It's in our hearts. We know the right thing to do. And we have two choices. We can honor it or we can betray it. And when we choose that choice of betrayal, we hop inside of the box. And that was, that's what he was saying. And he, the whole message was on marriage. He was just saying, we get in the box in marriage. And then right there, he mentioned, he, well, he wanted to share this, not just about marriage, but like it happens in business. But here's the funny thing. It doesn't just happen in business. It doesn't just happen in marriage. Like Kevin was describing my morning commute. <laughs> like there's, there, is, there is betrayal, there is distortion, there is justification, there's blame, there's inflation of what actually happened. All over 751 on my way here on, on, a, on a weekday morning, that's happening, right? And here's the thing, I've, I've noticed, I've lived in different regions around the country, and I've noticed that a turn signal means different things in different places, right? I mean, it just, it's amazing how this happens, right? And so I was, I was checking with my wife on this, and she said this is true. So if you're offended, you can blame my wife. That's fine. She'll, 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 she'll take it. I'm not really doing that. So, all right, so here's the thing. In, in, uh, in the Midwest, I grew up in Indiana. So in the Midwest, the turn signal is a question mark right? It's a nice, polite way of saying, I would like to come over. Would you please let me in, right? That, that's what it means in the Midwest. In Southern California, where, I, where my wife and I and our family, we live for a couple years, it's a warning, right? It's basically like, get your eyes on, fool. I'm coming over, right? It's just, you know, whether they see it or not, you're coming. 
And in North Carolina, here in the southeast, and now don't, don't shoot the messenger, right? This is just hard science. This is just data. And I'm just del- I'm delivering it to you all, all right? In North Carolina, in North Carolina, it's a challenge, <laughs> right? You're driving along. You turn your turn signal. There's someone coming up behind you. You turn on your turn signal, and here's what they hear. He's going to beat me to it. He's going to beat me. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, no, like that's, that's what happens, right? And that's okay, because I kind of like, like I'm, I'm a competitive person. Like, just like ask my kids, like if we're playing board games, I say, guys, get your game face on, because like this is real. Or like my wife and I, like we like to play basketball together, and I'll, I'll start throwing elbows. Like, I don't care if she is pregnant. Like, listen, when you step on the court, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. I'm throwing my wife under the bus today already. All right, so we'll, we'll turn a corner here. But here's the deal. Every day... Every day when we walk out the door, we have two choices. Am I for me or am I for them? Am I for me and my comfort, my happiness, or will I choose to live this day to fight for others, right? There's these two choices. And here's what I mean. Have you ever played the game Jenga? You guys ever played Jenga, right? So it's this great, awesome game, and there's all these wooden blocks, and the purpose of the game Let's see if I can do this. It was easy practicing this in my office with, you know, there's no, like, people watching and I don't have dr- adrenaline flowing through me. So the whole purpose of the game is to move blocks from the bottom to the top. I want to find non-load-bearing. All the ones I'm pulling are load-bearing. There we go. You want to pull blocks from the top. You guys think it's going to fall, don't you? You don't trust me. You want to pull blocks from the top. You want to put them on. I'm sorry, pull box from the bottom and put them on the top. And that one was a little risky. It was a little risky. Here's the thing about Jenga. No one really wins. Because <laughs> in the end, the blocks always fall over, don't they? It's not like you can like, play Jenga and like, you play for like an hour and like, you've built this great structure, this great tower, and yours is so good that this time it's not going to fall over. They always fall over. Now, in the box, it says, if the blocks don't fall on you, you win. It's a lie the blocks still fall over, right? All that time you spent, the blocks still fall over. And so here's what happens. You'll get playing for like a half an hour, and then it's starting start to get intense. And then like there's people standing around watching. You're going against somebody. You're competing. And then one person pulls a block, and they all fall, and everybody starts pointing and laughing, right? Like, I mean, it's like this really, this really intense game. And here's how you win. You pull blocks. You position them in such a way that the blocks don't fall on you. They fall on somebody else. You, you, you lose if the blocks fall on you. But you're more than okay if the blocks fall on the other person. That's the game, right? Anybody else think that sounds a lot like life? Right? Like you, you, you move, you position, you, you, you put the blocks in such a way that, hey, like everybody loses in the end anyway, right? Like we all die. I mean, that, that's a popular thought. Like we all die. We all get shortchanged in the end. So, so long as the blocks don't fall on me today, I'm good. Like, I'm sorry if they fall on you, but I don't want them to fall on me, right? Like, we'll, we'll, we'll pull into a parking spot faster than the other person. It's like, sorry, like, I'm just really busy today. Like, you don't understand how busy I am today, right? Or we'll be, like, standing in line at Starbucks, and it's like, I don't have time to stand behind you. I'm late for work. I still have time for Starbucks, but I'm late for work, <laughs> right? And, like, I'd love to help my neighbor out this week. But for the last month, their, their dog has been leaving little gifts on my lawn. And so I'm not going to help them out this month, right? And we, little by little, we stack up the blocks. We stack up the blocks. Like, my friends, they just don't get it. My challenges are far bigger than theirs, 
right? Like they've got more money, they've got more people in their lives, they've got more family, like whatever. Like we, 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 we stack it up, right? We, we, we justify our thoughts. And little by little, we're competing with everybody around us, competing with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family, those that we're on our morning commute with, and we start stacking up the blocks against them. We don't want the blocks to fall on them, but we just, we don't want them to fall on us, right? This, 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 sounds, this sounds very familiar, I'm sure. And the, the thought is this, why should I be inconvenienced? Why should I be inconvenienced for you? And we love to say, like in North Carolina, like there's Southern hospitality, like, whoa, not here. This doesn't happen. To which I would say, right. Duke, UNC, state fans, you guys always get along, right? Like there's never a disagreement. You always see eye to eye. You always see every call like just the same way, right? It's not true. There's a competition going on. Maybe here in the church we'd say, well, not Christians. Not Christians. Except that isn't true. Because so often we're attacking people's behaviors when God called us to fight for their hearts. See, here's what Paul's going to say in Ephesians 6 today. There's a way out. You don't have to stay in the box. You don't have to jump into the box of betrayal. There's a, there's a way out. There's a, there's a different route, and the route is this. Stop fighting against the people around you and start fighting for them. Stop fighting against the people around you and start, start fighting for them. Here's the deal. Paul doesn't just drop this bomb in Ephesians 6 out of nowhere. There's a narrative. There's a theme going throughout the entire, the entire book. Six Sundays ago, when we were preparing for um, Ephesians 1, I was reading the scriptures. I was just kind of preparing my heart and to hear what Pastor Benji might say that day. And I came across this passage. I'm telling you, it just shook me to my core because it said so much. And ever since then, I've been trying to wrap my, my head around it. Here's what it says. And, and Paul's writing to the church here. He says this. He says, And God placed all things under his feet. He's talking about Jesus. And he appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul's saying, God appointed all things into the hands of Christ. His body has the fullness of God in him. And guess who his body is? It's you, the church. See, what Paul's saying is, God chose you to be the church. He chooses the church to heal the world. All the needs, all the hurts, God is using the church. It says it right here. He uses him, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, here's the thing. We can't fill the needs if we're a part of the game. If we're constantly stacking up the blocks against others, there's no way that we can possibly be a part of filling the needs of others. So Paul keeps going on. In chapter 2, Pastor Ryan Brooks, a few weeks ago, the, the, the right Reverend Ryan Brooks, he had two words. Do you remember the two words that he kept asking us to shout out that week? But God, you remember that? But God, he kept asking us to shout that out. So, so hang on to that. Hang on to that. You're going to need it in just a second. He goes on in Ephesians 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You played the game just like everyone else. You lived as though you were dead. You played the game. You were a part of the competition. Obeying the devil. We're going to come back to him. But God, remember you guys weren't, hey, where's my cue? 
But God, there we go, much better, much better, is so rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, even though we were playing the game because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us up, when he raised up Christ from the dead. He keeps on going. Why? Why does he do this? For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things that he planned for us long ago. God gave us new life. When we were playing the game, he came and said, there's hope. There's a new way. There's a new route. There's a new direction. You were once like that, but no longer. No longer. See, God God changed things. You played the game. You fought everyone around you. You don't have to do it anymore. This week when I was uh, planning out my message, I kept looking for like this perfect metaphor that I, could, that I could show on screen, a story I could tell, and it wasn't coming to me. And I was sitting with my, with my family. We were watching the news one morning, right before I left for work. We were watching the news, and this story came on TV, and I'm like, that is it. Like, like that's exactly what Paul's saying. I have to show this. You see, there was this past week, there was a high school girl. She was running in, her, um, in the state finals uh, of the track, it was a track meet. And I, I ran in track, so I know how much work it takes to get. I never made it to the state finals, but I know the work that gets put in. And she was a very good runner. In fact, she was running two races at the state finals. The first race was a 1,600 meters, about a mile. She won the race. She won the state finals as a junior in high school. Her second race was, was the 3,200 meters, which was about two miles. She is running, right? The, the whole point of a race is to beat the other person, right? Like, you don't like them, you're not friends, you want to beat their face in, like, this is a race. I want to win, I want you to lose, right? I mean, it's just like the blocks. I want to win, I want you to lose, right? This is a good runner. Take a look at what happened. It was an act of valor and selflessness, the likes of which you see in a war movie, but this one took place at a state high school track meet in Ohio. It's Megan Vogel, you'll see on the right. She was competing in the 3,200 meter when her competitor and fellow distance runner, Arden McMath, fell down just short of the finish line. Megan sacrificed her own finishing position in the race, scooped her up, and they finished together 14th and 15th at the wire. Megan said she just reacted naturally. We thought the example she set deserved some attention. Hmm. Isn't it amazing? And you see how they finished? When they got close to the finish line, she put the other girl in front of her so that she finished before herself. Isn't that amazing? It's exactly what Paul's saying. It's exactly what he's saying. You've been fighting. You've been in the race. You've been in the competition. You've been fighting against them. Stop fighting against them and start fighting for them. Like, what if the church rose up and said, like, well, I don't want to finish the line first. I want you to finish across the line before me. And here's what Paul wants us to get. There is a fight. There is a fight. It's just not the world. What Paul's going to tell us today is you can't see the fight. You can't see it. Now, I know that sounds kind of weird and, and, and mystical and, and spiritual, but like, listen, like, hang on, hang on for just a second. Hey, hang with me for just a minute. Well, I want to explain this out. Paul is saying there is a fight. You just, you just can't see it. In Ephesians 6, here we go. Verse 10, he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See, I said we come back to him. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against those that we can see, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, it's always important when, when there's therefore in the scripture. Therefore, because of all of that, you put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after everything you've done to stand. To stand. Write this in. The fight is real. The fight is real. We can't see it, but it's real. And this is just, this is just a fact. In, in, in our post-modern culture, we have a hard time believing in things we can't see, right? Things we can't touch, taste, feel. Like We want to be able to see it. It's just who we are. But I want to challenge that thought for just a second. Because every day there are things we can't see that impact our world and we believe in it. In the mid-1800s, there was this popular thought. It was called spontaneous generation. There was the thought that non-living organisms could suddenly, out of nothing, become living organisms. They, they didn't know how, they didn't know why, they didn't know how it was transmitted. And basically, this was their, their thought for disease. They didn't know why, like, just villages would just, would just crumble underneath the disease. They didn't know where the disease came from. They didn't know how it passed from one to another. And they would call it spontaneous generation. It just came, comes from nothing. Lots of times they, they thought maybe this was like a divine providence, like, like this, this was God's judgment on a community. They didn't know. They didn't, they didn't know how to protect themselves against this disease, and this was their only thought. It just it comes up out of nowhere. Until the late 1800s, there's a, there's a man, a name we've probably heard before, Louis Pasteur. There was this circle of scientists that said, you know what, maybe it's not like just non-living organisms that suddenly pop up and become living organisms. Maybe it's not like God's judgment or providential act on a, on a community. Maybe, maybe there's invisible things that we can't see that greatly impact the visible world. What if there's things that we can't see and every day they affect the things that we can see? And he called it the germ theory of disease. And today, we buy it hook, line, and sinker, right? Right, like right now, ladies, in your purses, who has hand sanitizer? Raise your hand. Like almost every lady in the room. Like, we believe in germs. We wash our hands. We, we want to kill them. We, I, I, this week, I got a cold. It's the middle of June, or it's early June. How did I get a cold, <laughs> right? Germs. I can't see them, but they've, they've impacted me greatly. We, we believe in it. We, we, we know there's things that we can't see that impact what we can see, right? Every day. Every day we believe in that. But here's the deal. When it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to spirituality, we're not sure. We're not sure about this thing called the devil, right? Like, we're not sure about this person called the devil. We're just not sure what to do with it. But here's the thing. You don't have to have a microscope to see and believe that evil exists. There's times we can look back on the rearview mirror of our lives, right, and say, why in the world did I do that? Why did I say that? What was I thinking when I got that haircut? Well, maybe that wasn't an evil thing, but it was, it was a bad haircut nonetheless. Right, we can, we can look around everywhere. There's genocide happening in the world right now. It's evil, pure evil. During World War II, there was a group, there was a government, a government that believed it was right, it was okay, it was the right thing to do to round up an entire race of people called the Jews and try to exterminate them. It's evil, right? In our own church, we are learning, even in North Carolina, of the evils of sex trafficking. It's evil, simply evil. We, we can't see what's happening behind the scenes, but we can see what's happening in the visible world, right? 9-11, there were people who trained for years. Can you believe this? There were people who trained for years, planned for years to hijack planes full of innocent people 
take those planes, ram them into buildings full of innocent people. They thought that was right. They thought that was okay. It was evil. And see, in the scriptures, Paul's going to say in just a moment, Jesus believed it. Jesus believed there was a person called the devil, and he's out to kill you. Listen to what Jesus says. He's, he's arguing with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. They want to claim that, that they are the children of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're not the children of Abraham. Listen to what he says. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you aren't able to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now listen, here's what, here's what you do the next time you're having an argument with somebody and they don't understand what you're saying. You don't hear what I'm saying because you belong to your father, the devil. You, see how it goes. You may, you may, you're not Jesus, so you might not want to say it. I'm just, I'm just saying. But Jesus says it. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. That's what he says. That's what he always says. That's all he knows are lies, lies, lies. For he is a liar and the father, the originator, the creator of all lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus is saying there is evil. There is this person called the devil. He's trying to wake up the people around him. He said, he wants to kill you. His weapon lies. He wants to deceive. He wants to distort. He wants to twist. He wants to put you inside of the box to betray your own thinking, your, your own heart, your own way of knowing what's right. He wants to betray it and twist it. And if he can twist it just enough, he can kill marriages. He can kill relationships. He can kill families. He can kill trust. He can take it all away. Sounds a lot like the box, right? You know what to do, and yet somehow you're deceived. You betray, you inflate, you distort, you justify, you blame. You see, the, if, if the devil can twist things just enough, he can take the things that God meant for good and use them for evil. Here's what I mean. He can take appetite, which God meant for good, and turn it into addiction. He can take desire and turn it into greed. He can take a, something that was appealing, that God wanted to be appealing, and can turn it into jealousy in someone else. He can take appreciation and twist it, distort it just enough, pervert it, and turn it into lust. He can take people's view of who God is, get them so mad at who God is, that they make decisions out of that anger and then blame God for the consequences of those decisions. He can take a human race that was supposed to fight for each other and somehow getting them fighting against each other. If he can twist it just a little bit, just a little bit, he wins. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, not so with you. You are the church. You are people who are supposed to fulfill all things in every way. My fullness is in you. You're going to meet the needs of the world. You don't keep playing the game. You put the game aside. You don't have to keep fighting against each other. You don't have to do it. There's a way out. That's why he says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's scheming. He wants to kill you. He wants to murder you. He wants to twist your reality. You put on the full armor of God. Now, this is what Paul means by the full armor of God. Verse 14, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So here's the second thing I want you to write down. The fight is for your character. 
The fight is for your character. Maybe a better way to say it is the fight competes for your character. Here's the thing. Here's what Paul's getting at. He's saying the world is fighting each other. Lies are spreading in every direction. You wake up in the morning, you go to work, you go to class. There's lies spreading in every direction. But you, you be a person of truth. You speak the truth in love and you be different than all of those lies. It's going to be appealing. It's going to seem like they're getting ahead with those lies, but you don't do it. Don't do it. Paul's saying that as people are trying to, to grapple their way to the top, there's going to be injustice. And people are going to be okay with injustice. But you, you do what's right. You do what's right. Like, you don't betray your thoughts. You keep doing what's right. Don't hop in the box. Do what's right. Do what's right. Paul's saying there is a war going on. And it's not just on battlefields. It's in homes. It's in businesses. It's among friendships. He's saying, you, you don't jump in with all that. Don't jump in with it. You be a person of peace. You be a person of mutuality, of, of understanding. You be a person who wants to share good news. You be a person that says there's hope. You don't have to keep fighting like everybody else. There's a way out. There's a way out. Because here's the thing. There are times that it seems like this is good, but little by little as the blocks keep getting mounted up, people are suffocating. People are dying. People are struggling because they can't get out of the box. They can't stop stacking up things against each other. Sometimes they're stacking it up against themselves. Paul's saying, stop fighting the world. Start fighting for it. And here's the thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go against your character. And he's saying, what if a tribe rose up? What if a tribe rose up called the church and they spoke truth? If they were just real and they did what was right and they weren't constantly battling others, they were fighting for them. They were fighting for peace in their homes, in their marriages, in their lives. He said, you'll be, you'll be like that girl who, who wanted the, to help the other girl finish first. She was running the race. She was fighting the fight, and she stopped to fight for someone else. Paul goes on to say this. This is important. Verse 16. In addition to all this, in addition to the belt, to the breastplate, to the feet, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In case we weren't getting it, Paul is saying there is a fight. It is real. You can't see it, but believe it or not, there are flaming arrows coming your way. It's not, a, it's not enough just to want to do good. It's not enough to just want to speak truth. He's like, listen, when you walk out these doors, arrows are coming your way. There is a fight. He wants to take you out. He wants to twist your reality. He wants to take your life and twist it just enough that it gets you off track. See, there is a fight. He's saying everywhere around you, you're going to see people taking the easy way out. And it's going to seem like the better way because it seems like they're winning. It seems like they're winning. He's saying, don't do it. Don't fall in line with that. Don't follow that line of thinking. He's saying, if you don't daily put on the armor of God, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, you're going to fall back into that same distortion. You're going to want to do right, and then you're going to see everybody around you doing it wrong. Don't fall in with that. Take your faith with you. Listen. Trust God. Believe. Keep going. He's saying, keep going. This is a real fight. 
But here's the thing. I, I love here. Here's where it keeps going. Verse 13. We will hop back to verse 13 for a second. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, when, when the day of evil comes, Paul's not saying it might. Paul's saying you wake up today, it's coming. You walk out these doors today, it's coming. He's coming for you. He's coming for your family. But Paul says, take heart. Listen to this. This is my favorite part of the the whole passage. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The helmet of salvation. Paul isn't just uh, creating this, uh, this, this passage out of nowhere. He actually gets it from Isaiah 59. Isaiah is writing these same words, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. See, the helmet of salvation, that word salvation in the Hebrew is the same word for deliverance. And it simply means put on the helmet of deliverance. It's a helmet that's gone through the fire and come out the other side to talk about it. Put on the helmet of salvation, which is also the helmet of victory. Do we catch what Paul's saying? He's saying, you've already won. You've already won. Write this on your papers. The fight has already been won. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of victory to remind yourself that you have already won. Remember what God says. Cling to his word. Rely on his spirit, and you'll quench quench the arrows. You'll be tempted to live and to be and to act like everyone else, but don't do it. See, here's the thing. In John 8, Jesus was telling us that there's a liar, there's a deceiver. He wants to take you out. But listen to what he says in John 14. Just a a few chapters later, he's, he's saying, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. And Jesus says, just like he wants to kill you, he's gonna kill me. And there's gonna be a time, there's gonna be a season, there's gonna be a couple days where it seems like he won, but he didn't win. I rose up from the grave. I love this. I I will speak with you not much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. He has no hold on me. Jesus is saying, I win. I win. You don't have to keep fighting because guess what? You win. You don't have to keep playing the game. You've already won. Jesus is saying, "You, you, you must pass through this. You're going to have to go through this time. It's going to seem like the world won. It's going to seem like they had more strength for me, but guess what? I I gave my strength away. When the world is grasping for all the power, I gave my power over to them. It seems like they won when they put me in the grave, but I didn't stay. I rose up from the grave. It's at this point that that Paul, he picks up on Jesus' words. Listen to what Paul says. The last two verses. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's in prison. People don't want to hear about getting out of the box. They want to hear about getting out of the fight. They put Paul in prison. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul in prison is saying, pray that I would, that I would not lose heart. That I, would, that I would preach the gospel, the good news, that there's hope, and I would do it fearlessly. Why? Because I should. He's already won. 
But here's what Paul's saying, pray for me. There are times when I'm in prison and it feels like I'm losing. There's times when doing the right thing doesn't feel right. There's times that I wish these chains were taken off of me. You ever feel like that? You want to go and be a person of truth and it's not easy. You want to go and be a person who does the right thing and it's not easy. You want to go and be a person who is a, a person of peace and it's not easy. Paul's saying, you can do it and you can do it fearlessly because he's already won. Here's the deal. Every week, every day, we keep playing the game. Jesus is saying, I want to use you. I, I redeemed your life. I changed it. I turned it around so that I could use you so others could find hope. Your neighbors, your, 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 your co-workers, your friends, your family, your children, your spouse, I want them to know that they don't have to keep fighting. And I'm going to do it through you. Here's what Paul is saying. Everybody around me is building up the tower. But I've chosen to not play the game. I don't have to win because I've already won. Right? Here's what Paul is saying to us today. You can keep building up the tower. You can keep trying to get in front of people online. You can keep trying to get ahead at work. You can keep trying to get ahead of people in, in your classroom. You can keep trying to get ahead of them. Or you can realize you've already won and lose up front. You can lose up front because in the end you already win. You don't have to keep playing the game. You don't have to keep stacking them up. You're fighting the wrong people. Paul's saying it looks like it's them because they're believing the lies too. You were just like them, remember? You were just like them, but you don't have to keep building them up. You've been forgiven. You've been taken out of the box so you can bring more people out of the box. You don't have to keep fighting. You don't have to try to win. You've already won. I'm going to close up with this, and I want you to grab your notes, and I want you to write down three people three people or maybe three places you've been fighting against. Who have you been fighting? Who have you been trying to compete against? And as I've been speaking, as we've been sharing, as God's been working on your heart, he's saying, stop fighting them. I want them to, I want them to know my love. It seems like they're the ones you're fighting against, and it's not them. They're believing the lie too. Three people. What's one thing with each of those people that you could do this week to stop fighting against them and start fighting for them? That up front, you could just say, you know what? I lose. I don't have to play this game. It seems like they're winning. But when Jesus rose up from the grave, he won. Which means if I'm in him, if I'm a part of the church, I win too. A few years ago, I... I had a friend of mine who was a pastor. He was, he was going on a mission trip to Africa. And he went and he was, he was visiting one of the local churches. And someone in the village, had, a young woman, had just given her life to Christ. And they went out to do a baptism in the river. And so my friend went along to watch the baptism. And he said the pastor and the young woman, they got into the river. And then the entire church, they got into the river with him. He's like, I've never seen this before. You know, usually it's just the people being baptized get in the water. And then when they got into the river, he said that everybody, little by little, started jumping and shouting and kicking and splashing water the whole time the baptism was going on. And then little by little, they all came out. And my friend was just mesmerized by this. He was just like, what? What is going on? And he went over to the pastor later, and he was like, was that just like the way you guys celebrate baptism? He was like, well, kind of. Uh, there were alligators in the river. <laughs> and 
it's the only water we have to, to baptize her. And so when we do a baptism, we all get in. We're all in on this. We, we want to build a, a wall of sound that, that, that scares the alligators away so that we can baptize them. And essentially what he was saying is this. For new life to come about, there has to be sacrifice. And I wonder for you this week, who's worth it? Who's worth it? That you'll say, I'm not going to stack up the cards against you anymore. I'm not going to stack up the blocks. I don't have to try to beat you. I want you to win. I want you to cross the finish line first. Who is it in your life that you say, you know what, they're worth it? They're worth it. I'm going to ask you guys to stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. The song is called With Everything. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe it'll be a new song for you. Uh, I want to challenge us to do this. Pay close attention to the words. And I want to challenge you to sing them out, to shout them out. My, my, my wife and I, we were at the uh, Lady Annabellum concert the other night in Raleigh. And uh, as we were standing there, and we were having a good time. And I, I, at one point, I turned around and looked. There was just like this sea of people. I mean, there was like tens of thousands of people at this concert. And they were all singing and shouting and raising hands and having a good time. And it was fun. But I remember thinking to myself, I mean, all this singing and shouting, and it's just going up into the air. It's going nowhere. That doesn't happen here. When we lift up our voices, when we lift up our hearts to God, the scriptures promise us that he will inhabit, he will come in and be a part of the praises of his people. And so when you lift up his name in just a moment, when you lift up his name, he comes and spends time with us. This is the beginning of you stepping out of the fight. So I just want to encourage you. We're not just singing a song. We're stepping out of the tower. We're, we're saying, I, I don't have to win, God. Use my life so the people around me can find the hope that I found. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we lift up our hearts to you. God, thank you for a way out of the box. For years, every one of us, we've spent time in it, blaming and justifying, betraying, distorting. In various ways, and here's the deal, we don't have to. And it's all because of what you did in your son on the cross. And God, you've promised us, you've not left us alone. You, you give us your armor, which Paul teaches us is your Holy Spirit, your spirit. We can't stand against the devil. He's far stronger than us, but here's the thing. You already won. The spirit inside of us, it's not even a fair fight. God, thank you for that. God, as, as we sing, I pray that you would just inhabit the hearts, you would inhabit this room, and that we would, we would look to you that you would fill our hearts and our minds with ways that we can, we can jump out of the box this week and fight for the people around us. It's in your son's name we pray. In your son's name is the only reason we can pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.